This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, Ellis Pod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parking or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a shot! Oh, 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 Far post for Shearer. Goal! McLaughlin has it. Oh, deflection! And a goal! Gets to Mitchell! It's another goal! Incredible! Hobble! Swindon Town have appointed a manager swiftly, pressed reset in terms of structure, and apologised for making mistakes during the 2022-23 season. That'll do, right? Maybe for some, and I really do envy the ability some supporters have to draw a line in the sand and look forward to the 23-24 campaign. However, we can't and won't just yet. We've spent the campaign discussing this club, so we will use the end-of-season review to ponder what on earth went wrong and when and where and how. If there is real change, we won't dwell on it for too long, but our right to vent won't be denied. If you don't want to listen to LS Pod dig up the immediate past, then this might not be the instalment for you. But here to probe the last 12 months, first of all, it's Terry. Hello, Terry. Hey, Rich. I, I, I feel like I've really understood the brief here. <laughs> I get the mission. I accept the mission. I'm ready to go. Yeah, this 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 task was too much for Connor and Dan. They're too angry still. <laughs> They're too angry. You might think Terry's angry, listeners. Oh, not as angry as Dan and Connor. Also with us is JR. Hello, JR. Hello, Rich and Terry, of course. Um, guys, aren't we all going to meet up at the fans forum in a few days? <laughs> There's nothing to say. 
You know, we, we're going to wait till August when there's something to talk about. Isn't that right? That's unfair, Rich. Um, they, uh, Clem has just realised that there's a time difference between Australia and London. Oh, dearie, dearie. So, yeah, that's going to be very much the vibe for the next hour or so. Uh, we're going to go in a kind of chronological order because so much happened and then sort of put bits together wherever possible. And we're going to go right back to almost a year ago, May 2022. And I think, JR, it kind of all starts, <laughs> the unravelling of the 22-23 campaign starts to unravel in May of last year when Ben Garner decides he's going to leave. Uh, it takes 14 days between the speculation that he is leaving, the negotiation and the confirmation that he's gone to Charlton Athletic almost as long as his actual tenure at the Valley. How much of a loss do you think Ben Garner was? And this is retrospective, obviously. Well, it's it's interesting looking back and thinking about those 14 days of waiting because Ben Garner was never the kind of person who was going to get doorstopped, was he? I mean, he was pretty much incommunicado for the whole season. That's just literally not his not his style to be out there and although I think that he'd won a few people round he still he still had his his critics and I think a lot of people felt that you know if he'd been if he'd been wooed as the insinuation was then you know it was right for him to go I do think looking back that you know we were keeping it fairly simple and building some kind of momentum and I don't know looking looking back at the whole season now I do wonder whether it really was as cut and thrust as to say Charlton came a knock in and Ben went a running. You know, did we did we really make an effort to to build on what we had there, or did we just see that uh that tens machine manufacturer was willing to give us some compensation and roll the dice again? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think that's the point I was gonna go with next, Terry. Like the fact that he left doesn't anger me. You know, he it wasn't a perfect season. It was a wonderful season from beginning to end, but there were some shaky moments that that frustrated. But it was the lack of desire from Swindon publicly to want to keep Ben Garner that I look back on. And he's not it's not the only example of this where I wonder what we did to try and keep hold of the guy. I, I can't imagine we did anything, to be honest. The one thing I'll say on Ben Garner is last season and his performance as manager at our club for that season gets better every day. Um, we are told that our budget, our playing budget this year was significantly uh, up on last year. Um, our club should be on significantly better footing than last year. You know everything about it should have meant should have meant that that last year was the was the scrap, and this year was was the challenge and obviously it was completely completely the opposite of that so his achievement gets better with time and I'll still I'll always look back on that season as as one of as one of my favorites following the club so I I find it hard to sort of have a bad word to say against the guy um the, the, I guess what we didn't realize at the time and and we now realize is that it was the beginning of of a very much recurring theme here where if you ask Swindon for anything or anyone and offer a bag of balls, they'll probably say yes. I think, Rich, as well, the thing of Van Garner leaving, and if we think back to his Bristol Rovers tenure, and as I've said already, he's not really someone to be particularly outspoken, but I think there was an article at length where he was describing 
you know the last the last vestiges of that of that post where he's had a discussion with uh, that wild guy the chairman about all the things in the club that he feels that you know need to be improved upon he definitely comes across as quite a big picture person and to have had those conversations to have the nod from the chairman and then getting unceremoniously dipped out when you've when you've literally forecast like all the things that you think need fixing about the club I find it very hard to square that he wouldn't have had that impression in his next opportunity. And also that, um, you know, if, if the club were as appreciative as was made out throughout the season for his efforts, um, that he would be quite so quick to jump at the earliest opportunity. Something doesn't quite, and I know that, you know, football isn't as honest as it might seem uh, on the surface, but something doesn't quite square up there for me is that the first opportunity that comes that he goes because it's a risk. If you, if you wait another year and you get Swindon promoted, you know, the opportunities that come your way are going to be so much more bountiful. Or even if you get to the playoffs again and you don't go through, you'll have better offers than just whatever Charlton want this month. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he left. It didn't work out for him at Charlton, but we'll see him next season at Colchester. We're not even ending May, 2022 yet. And a real major moment for the, the future season, the confirmation that Ben Chorley has left the club. Now, I will use elements of my red-hot ITK <laughs> from time to time. It might not be true. It might it might be true. But the things I was hearing when Ben Chorley left, Terry, is that I wasn't he wasn't that much of a big deal anyway. He spends too much time between Swindon and London. Didn't have huge amount of legacy. And then a week later, Sandro Di Michele is appointed as sporting director, who is his direct replacement. And it's a defining moment of the campaign before the fixtures are even released. Later, I would hear noises that there's a lot of regret within the club that Ben Chorley left. And he actually did a lot more. His influence on Harry McCurdy, for example, was a huge contributing factor behind the success of the season before. And we replaced him with someone with literally zero knowledge and experience and probably contacts for the role that that he was given in Sandro Di McKelly, which isn't his fault. He took the gig, but the club appointed him in good faith that he would do a better job than Ben Chorley. A huge moment for the season ahead. Yeah, and it's it's hard, isn't it, when you do stuff like this to not to not speak with like twenty twenty hindsight. But again, it, it's just I think at the time we knew we knew this. It's just another massive downgrade. How can you have such a great season and then systematically take away every element that has contributed to that season? Um, ben Chorley is, in, in in quotation marks, a proper football man, and it seems like he was able to 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 do some of the sort of the hidden stuff, the dark arts of of management, or the dark arts of um, of being a director of football, if you will. You know, so a great great relationship with agents, great relationship with the players, which we know for a fact was not the case with uh, under Di Michele. Um, and also, frankly, he had an eye for a player. You look, you look at the the players that that Ben Chorley managed to bring to this club. 
during a period, uh, you know, the, the, the back end of the, of the Lee Power reign, arguably one of the lowest periods in our history, we were, we still, we were still managing to find really, really talented footballers to come and join us. Um, you know, you, you look at someone like Mandela Regbo or, or, um, or Jayasimi, um, you know, play, players that left us for a better level um, and, and really sort of lit up that period. So, I think I think it was very easy at the time to just chalk it up to the fella never leaves the M25 and and recommends a player here and there and he's got lucky on a couple and I think I think we learned very very quickly that was massively downplaying his overall sort of calming influence on the playing side of the organisation. Yeah, JR, he may have not been he being Ben Chorley. He may have not been the most popular member of the Swindon staff, but he had the respect of the squad and the dressing room. And it's something that I don't think Sandro Di Michele ever really had. And that can be for various reasons. It might be that they didn't get their way. It might be simply that Ben Chorley played the game. But it's those little things that we don't see that can go a long way in-house too. Yeah, I mean, regardless of, I guess, your kind of status, if you're a you know, a a true football man, I think in that kind of field, you're going to command respect. I mean, when you have heard on interviews that you've done from, you know, the dreaded Lee Power era, all of those guys speak in a very different way to perhaps how maybe we would all see him. Um, Maybe because it's the, you know, the ex-pro thing and knowing the game is is part of the battle. Uh, I guess that comes in that when you're, you know, when you're holding the fort and you're having to make big decisions, not just on, um, you know, who to identify. And I'm sure we could all go on transfer marked and things like that and look for <laughs> free agents or academy kids or so, whatever the strategy might be. That's one aspect of it. But when you're dealing with the minutiae, and I have seen, you know, rumors and whispers on Twitter or on forums about, maybe overreaching that status and you know having a broader say in the general running of things you very quickly going to lose respect if you don't appreciate you know why players are asking to do things like overnight stays that kind of thing let's let's keep on Dee McKaylee's job the remit was clear bring in young players with a view of flipping them very, very swiftly at a profit. So out went Dion Conroy, Ryan East, Mandela Egbo, Rob Hunt, although contract negotiations are still <laughs> ongoing with him. Uh, Jordan Lydon, uh, Jaden Mitchell-Lawson, Akinodomeo, Jack Payne, Jojo Wallacott. <laughs> pay him, for goodness sake. And then Harry McCurdy and Lewis Ward would leave on the final day of the window and replacing them was Tommy Adeloy, Tyree Shade, Reese Devine, Kean Harris, Jake Wakeling, Tom Clayton, Ronan Darcy, Saidu Khan, Angus McDonald, Rashan Hepburn, Murphy, Marcel Lavinia, Morgan Roberts, and Romeo Hutton. So, you know, man for man, it's not all the outgoing players were better than all the incoming, but I think I did I did a rough estimate, and almost six hundred games of experience were lost over the summer transfer window, Terry. Um, and that's massive. They may not be massive names, but that level of experience, if you're going to maintain a season where we're pushing for the playoffs 
you cannot let so many experienced play players go so swiftly and so aggressively. No, I, I just will never understand the logic behind it. They just systematically destroyed a very, very capable squad. Um, I'm more distracted, Rich, by the uh, by by the reduction of Premier League performances that went out <laughs> and in. We we lost fifty percent of Premier League performances, fifty uh, percent uh, of Premier League appearances from four to two, and ans- <laughs> answers on a postcard. If anybody can name the four Premier League appearances that we lost and the two that we signed, but no, it's it, it's just it's just that systematic. I will say this word routinely over the next hour or so: the systematic destruction of a very capable football operation at every level, right from the director of football to the manager to the playing squad to the backroom staff. It's systematically destroyed. And it, that's either done deliberately or it's done through sheer incompetence or it's a bit of a mix of both. And and look, every every side at this level is going to take a punt on half a dozen young players and uh, every summer. And, and developing and selling those players for profit is the lifeblood of clubs like ours. Uh, to, to say otherwise is, is, is super naive. But your, your hit rate best if you have a great setup and you have and you have a director of football who knows what he's doing and you have a scouting network and you have great coaching talent what what do you reckon the hit the the, the success rate is 50 percent absolute tops and we're probably running at about half half that so if you bring in 12 or 14 of these players we're basically saying what three or four of them have been a success and and that's not okay because they don't have the structure and and those almost those middle of the road six out of ten seven out of ten professionals who can put forty five games in a season, be competitive, nick points when they're not playing well, all of those all of those sort of um, unmeasurable measurable characteristics that you have in in experienced players, we just stripped all of those unmeasurables out of the squad, didn't we? Um, and went purely on a we're going to gamble that that for whatever reason, and it, probably it's arrogance. We're going to gamble that our success rate, our hit rate on these young players is going to be 70, 75% rather than 20%, which is how it worked out. Um, just to think on that, if we think about the the limited successes and uh, not even mostly failures, but just where players are kind of stood still, in terms of you know a flipping model, you know, what, what kind of revenue would we expect to have got from those players that we have? developed and moved on if anyone is going to move on in the summer who's still in contract would we expect to even get a small fortune from it that's maybe the part that that I don't get and I know at the beginning of the season this is where we're we're turning aren't we from part of this this idea with Dee McKayley coming in as director of football is moving to you know a data model rather than a director of football model um, and just whether that makes financial sense. We're hearing a lot about it taking, you know, influence from uh, clubs like Peterborough and Brentford. And well, one of those clubs is, you know, in the Premier League now and the other just, you know, keeps having issues of like remortgaging stadium and having to do firefighting fan forums. So it's it's a mixed bag of success. And when you get somebody who, you know, you can sell on for a decent profit, we know from our own experience that that's kind of few and far between. How much did you know, we spend in past areas for people like um, Lawrence Vigaru or Keshi Anderson or Kane Woolery or people like that and not manage to get a return from. Yet a double pack of Luongo and Gladwin to QPR 
is probably one of the biggest fees that we've had in what 10 20 years jr i i really appreciate your um your, your idea here that there was some sort of economic planning or strategy um we we please do bear in mind that uh only in last month's advisory board notes did we have the one three and five year plans published that were promised to the fans in spring 2021 um so maybe that economic um and that economic plan and the data points behind that recruitment strategy will be be with you in spring 25 if you're lucky but but i think you're dead right the economics of this doesn't work at league two as your main as your main transfer strategy because if it goes like the best it could possibly go is somehow and just bear with me here tommy adeloy scores 30 goals a season i mean you're going to flog him for He's only, he will only have one year left on his deal. He's got one decent season. I mean, what are you going to get for him? Half a million, if that? Um, you know, where's the big money in this side? I mean, we, we let's just assume Romeo Hutton gets his move to a to a top 10 League One club, which we think is probably going to happen. What are you going to get for him? Cut under grand? It's not, it's the idea of prioritising that over competing uh, just doesn't make any financial sense. But, Back to my original point, there is no financial planning um, because there's no one in no one in the organization that's ever done that for a football club. And lastly, the Brentford and Peterborough equivalents that are absolutely insanely stupid and should ju- just stop saying them, please, as a football club, stop saying them. Like Brentford lost eight figures a year for what, five years, six years in a row? Like the idea that the idea that they that that they've not been heavily backed, heavily funded, got an incredible deal on the stadium, et cetera, et cetera. Like, come on, that's the, it, it's such a fake equivalence. It's just not even worth doing. Yeah, and then they persevered as well. It sounds like we're we're changing the game again. So you know, something that they were looking to do last summer is getting completely overhauled because there is no long term planning. Rich. Exactly, no long term exactly. strategy. Exactly. I think in terms of the transfers, again, you know, it's it's very easy to look at it in retrospect, but I know for a fact fans were comparing what was coming in versus what we were losing and going, hmm, I'm not I'm not so sure about this. And I think the same applies to the loan market, which Swindon used really quite well in 21-22, especially considering we had to start again in January. I think if we're going to talk about the use of the word dud, there was only one really in Alex Gilbert. And Alex Gilbert's career is really kicking on with um, with Brentford B. And I expect him to, to have a good loan move in 23-24. But, you know... Romney Critchlow, Tyree Simpson, Kane Kessler-Hayden, Louis Barry, Josh Davison, Brandon Cooper, Jacob Bryan, and Joe Tomlinson were replaced by Sol Brin, uh, Kieran Brennan, Fraser Blake Tracy, Luke Jeffcott, Dylan Kaji, and Joe Tomlinson, J.R. And although they're, they're not a list of complete failures, they just didn't have the impact that we would have liked in comparison to those who played the season before? No, absolutely not. And I know that, you know, there was a fear that, um, you know, you get the odd mantra every year about not falling in love with lone players. And, um, you know, people like Simpson and Critchlow and Kessler Hayden made a great impact. And then after we were in the spotlight and we had our FI Cup game against Man City, um, judging from our, you know, our own economic judgments on tonight that that probably would have pulled more in than say the McCurdy transfer 
maybe even twice as much just to get in telly rights to be shown on that. But the fact that you know you're in the spotlight and then somebody is taking you know your best loan players, you're having to start again from scratch. Yes, it is annoying, but in the long term, if you've got uh, you know a structure and a setup and a, a manager that people trust, you know with their with their prospects with their loans, it's not a terrible position to be in, and that that kind of association. I mean, think a lot about um, you know who we managed to get in and. Um, We've already talked about the work of like Ben Chorley and having someone of the status of Ghana. You know, he's worked at uh, West Brom and Palace and places like that. It was obviously highly regarded. Um, we know that from Egbo and Williams, who worked with him before. That earns a certain cachet, doesn't it? That you know, to get quality players in through the door um, would be useful. I mean, uh, Bryn for the for the most part, like had a a decent season is a good loan. It was less less uh, glitzy towards the end than it was at the beginning, uh, where I think he, you know, really was making a lot of people think about future England call ups and other giddy nonsense like that. Well, 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 well. But in the early stages, people were keying cars in the name of Lewis Ward, were they not? He was booed on opening day. <laughs> That, my one is my one is speculation. Your one, Terry, is absolute facts. So, <laughs> goodness me! And 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 on that, I mean, as as I think you're going down that way, Jr. I mean, I'm 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 not stupid. You know, I know people will be saying, "Well, you've just listed two people who got Player of the Year awards for Swindon in, in Fraser Blake Tracy and Sol Brin." But I'm afraid the stubborn mule that I am. It's a mid-table League Two season, folks. That doesn't necessarily mean they've. They, <laughs> it's been a, a rip-roaring occasion for all involved. That says a lot more about the rest of the players than it says about Fraser Blake Tracy and Sol Brin. I think there's nothing, nothing wrong with Blake Tracy. I don't wish to pour any scorn on that, but facts is facts. Is that you know when he came through the door, he was unfancied by a team that was staring relegation in the face. And that's that, that's the calibre of loan that we've had this year. When we came to you know January, we 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 talked about you know jettisoning experience, and we did it again. So we got rid of uh, Glabin and McDonald in the main. We knew that Reed was going to be out of the door, and we got in Jake Kane from the academy. We got Kaji, who uh, I think was you know sort of panic loan after that uh, that other transfer had allegedly fallen through, and. Um, yeah, just not really getting like the second half. And Joe Tomlinson, who, surprise, surprise, spent the rest of the second half of the season in various states of treatment table and occasional squad appearances. And can't get it out to Hutton. He's well forward here, about uh, 25 yards out or so. Looks up, cars across in the box. Austin's there! Austin coming in and finishing with a header and sending Swindon in front after 25 minutes. <laughs> talking for almost half an hour and we haven't got to one of the major moments terry tell me how many stones should be left unturned to find the right head coach i i i think no stone should be left unturned until you Good. until you hire your assistant manager six weeks after your your old manager left uh so yeah scott Lindsay was appointed in June. There was 12 days between Ben Garner leaving for Charlton as a confirmed move and Scott Lindsay 
his assistant at Swindon being appointed head coach. It was a lot lot longer than that in real life, in real terms, though, Rich, wasn't it? I think the 25th of May that that, that, that Bangana was first um, rumoured to be accepting the, uh, the Charlton job. That's right. Yeah. So the saga itself is 24 days, isn't it? It's just it's about just under a month um, from the rumour of Bengana leaving, which, you know, just because we don't know anything doesn't mean that the club aren't frantically. Heck, in 1993, Hoddle was leaving for Chelsea and one went downstairs and one went upstairs and suddenly John Gorman was the manager. <laughs> so, so it can be done. Scott Lindsay, a lot has been said in more recent weeks and months at the tail end of the season when Scott Lindsay came back to the county ground with Crawley about how the fans reacted to him. And we'll talk about Scott Lindsay's form as head coach as this episode goes on. Yeah, he, he didn't blow anyone's socks off, but everybody wanted him to succeed. Everybody wants every head coach to succeed if, if unless they're barking mad. It was the optics, and a lot of this is optics, isn't it? Like spending, going all in on players, on, on head coaches from other setups, not going anywhere with them, and then just going, "Wow, heck, we'll just we'll just give this guy the the main gig." It, it just didn't look good, and and the way they spun it, just you just didn't buy it. Which just lies again, isn't it? It's just more lies. <laughs> like we can talk about spin, and we can talk about media, and we can talk about. Oh, we're not very good at communicating. It's just lies. Come on, we know that Ben. Uh, we know that he wasn't first choice. We know that stones were left unturned. We know that other stones were offered the job and had press shots at the county ground before turning it down and accepting counter offers. Just don't lie. Do we know that those press shots happened? Ah, uh, you tell me. Do you know those press shots happened? I don't know. I don't. But. We went all in on the Brighton guy, didn't we? I mean, that's, that's, you know, I forget his name. Andrew Croft, right? Andrew Crofts, the Welsh international, yeah. We went all in on that guy. It's, it's like the worst secret known to man. And they, they let him think about it for way too long, I think. Um, and then we're left with probably somewhere someone who was in the background at all times going, I'll do it. Uh, we, we were left with our first choice, Rich. Yeah, of course, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, and I think that's that's where I want to leave Scott Lindsay for now, JR. Other than any other points about the appointment of Scott Lindsay as opposed to what he would go on to do, I guess just to echo what has already been said that it maybe isn't necessarily the fact that uh, you know that it was him. It was that they'd obviously gone around the houses and, like you say, an open secret that what they wanted was that dream uh, academy man mold and. Obviously, in some sort of chat about <laughs> Charlton and conversation, Lindsay and uh, Dee McKayley over a coffee. Said, you, you've done a bit of a, you've done a bit of the old academy coaching, haven't you, Scott? You've you've been an assistant here. You know how it kind of works. Fancy the gig, and it almost felt like rather than being the first choice, he was the the first one who, when they've outlined the model and said um, a guy from Skybet is going to pick uh, pick players off um, his spreadsheet, and said. Yep, I'll do it. That's what it felt like to me. Okay, well, I want to take a break briefly to to talk about something that's sort of broader over the season, and that's player development. Because, again, this is an area where I think Swindon, on the whole, got it quite wrong 
in 22-23, and that was in relation to the fringe players and their development. So a lot of loan spells um, across the season. Harrison Minton went to Gloucester and Chippenham, would end the season in the first team set up due to injuries, and he did very, very well. Ricky Aguilar had a disastrous season across the board, which included a short spell at Torquay United. Morgan Roberts came, played a few games on the bench, went to Aldershot on loan, and I don't think we'll ever see him again. Harry Parsons, his 400th season at Swindon. He went to Banbury, Chippenham and Farnborough. Modabre, second season, went to Banbury and Worthing. George Calmeadow went to Sloughtown, Kidlington. Pool Town and Swindon Supermarine and Oscar Massey went to Hungerford, Wantage, Plymouth Parkway and Tavistock, probably closer to home and we'll probably never see him again either. I think to a degree, JR, we really did let our fringe down this season by failing to secure loan moves where they could really kick on. Some of these players did well in their loan spells, but it's the same places and those familiar places aren't great if it's your second or third or fourth year in development. No, no, it's it really was quite ham-fisted in the loan suite this year. I mean, if I take a if I take just one kind of fringe exa- example, and this might seem like a strange person to single out, but you had Oscar Massey coming, who was uh, he was well thought of, I think, of in Plymouth Academy. I don't know if he was released or if we'd put in an offer or something like that but he was maybe in the well he would maybe be in the position of um you know a, a darbray of somebody who just might have seemed like a rough diamond but if you've got somebody who is who is young who's probably moving away from home for the first time in their lives you know where is the actual structure and support these guys are all just kind of pinballed around various loan destinations I think a familiar theme, the loans have gone the way that everything with the club has gone, where if we look back to the pre, uh, the season before, we had ourselves and we had Chipnam, who were hurting for players, and players all trained together, and then once a week, the ones that needed to go to Chipnam would go to Chipnam, play at Chipnam for a bit, and that did actually improve them. We kept it simple, and I think loans and other aspects of it where we've not actually just thought let's just do um, a simple thing easily and have a relationship with a couple of clubs and just kind of develop these guys but also keep them close and in-house and have somebody checking in on them I mean I'm, I'm not sure how well connected Morris was towards the end but it seemed like half the time we had no update on these people or any idea of what they were doing and uh, just like they were just fend- left to fend for whoever fancied having an extra man on their bench. It really was quite poor. And I'm sure that we're still a way off from getting a retained and released list here. But I imagine a fair few of those will not be getting new deals. And we'll probably feel quite aggrieved at how the season has gone. Terry, am I being harsh here? Am I just be like, oh, it's a loan spell. Games are games. It doesn't matter where they are. Or, or is there something... Or am I right in saying that there was something quite scattergun to Swindon's loan policy this season? Well, it's 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 scattergun in the loan policy, but it's scattergun in the recruitment policy as well. Like, what's the bloody point in uprooting Oscar Massey from Plymouth to Swindon 
without a plan, without a lined up loan move, without a development expectation or plan. Look, maybe some of these things exist, right? Maybe we are being a bit harsh. We don't have a right to know everything about everything. Um, but it, 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 from from the outside looking in, my biggest question here is, what is the bloody point in Mo Dabre or Oscar Massey or like... Where where where's it going to end for them? And it's not going to end in 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 first team minutes for us in a football league career. So the last two or three years are just are just, or certainly the last twelve months are just are just they're just wasted effort across the board. If we're not going to commit, like we don't have a low manager, for example, right? We don't have lots and lots of people, um, and we, maybe we'll talk about that a bit later. But we don't have a low manager. So if we don't, if you don't have a low manager who is overseeing the strategy of placing young players out on loan for their development, what is the point in signing these players? Oscar Massey was never going to come in and impact the first team. Therefore, the only value in signing someone like Oscar Massey is to have a clear development pathway for him over the ne- over his first 24 months in the organisation. And that does not exist because we don't have anybody in the, biz- in the building who does that. Oh, dear. Sticking with you... Terry preseason then so we beat Melksham we lose to Supermarine beat Woking lose to Eastleigh lose to Cardiff and beat Worthing don't give a damn about performances and results but the big Scott Lindsay red flag numero one was the word fatigued (laughs) what a quote um (laughs) I've deliberately come into tonight's podcast fatigued um, to, to help me to, to help me prepare for the new season, it's just it's just insane, isn't it? Um, and look, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna describe the total ridiculousness of a the strategy and b the communication of said strategy anywhere near as good as Dan Hunt and his Walsall away League Cup rant. So <laughs> all I'm going to say is, if you want a hot take about fatigued players in pre-season and having to rotate the whole starting eleven because everyone's too knackered the first week of the season. Go and find Dan. He sits in about T one seven three in the in the <laughs> South Stand. Buy him a pint and get him and honestly it'll be the best ten minutes you'll have all season next year. <laughs> it's one of the reasons he's not doing this pod, uh, I think, you know, having to relive the Walsall game. Am I just not understanding what Scott Lindsay was saying here, JR? I mean, fatigued for me is not a positive word. It's not a sports word. It, it's 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 a word that makes me feel tired just reading it. Yeah, it was it was a a shocking admission, really. And that's the kind of thing that you meant to hear, meant to fix in pre-season, isn't it? We hear we hear legendary apocryphal stories about um, you know Paolo assessing the the team and kind of beasting them all into shape before it starts. But, you know, to give those sorts of excuses out early doors and you know, to justify that rotation and poor... I mean, poor Dan for making the journey. I've got less sympathy for JB making the journey because it was a very short journey for him. But even so, even so, to have such a churn and such a such a disinterest in, in cup competitions when we heard how much of a fillip it was last year to have you know, a big a big club come to town and to have the TV cameras and to just seemingly not be interested in any competition whatsoever was uh, disappointing. I hope it was an excuse, because if it was the truth, it's uh, 
pretty piss poor, really, isn't it? For, for me, the whole um, the whole cup thing—it's not really in the rundown here, Rich, but I think it's a really interesting thread just to pick up because I think it's 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 uh, a microcosm of lots of other things that that you can pick at over the season. But ultimately, this idea that the only reason we broke even in the season before last was the Man City game, right? We, that was my interpretation of the, of the manage of the, of the accounts. And I'm not very financial, financially literate when it comes to that sort of stuff. So if I've got that wrong, forgive me. But from what I can understand, that was the make or break between small profit, small loss, right? Super important, super, super important. Where is the disconnect between the boardroom and the first team football strategy like how did that happen (laughs) like cup games are really important because a you want to win football games early on the season early in the season but b especially in the league cup because you're only one win away from getting a decent draw knights like man city at home in the fa cup third round or i'm going back a few years now um but you know for for league cup equivalents but you know say aston villa at home um, Chelsea at home, exactly. Like they can genuinely move the needle on revenue, and you go back to the transfer strategy of we're just going to buy loads of kids, hope one of them develops and sell him for a couple hundred k. You can make that couple hundred k just by winning two cup games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, yeah. The second round, it gets serious, doesn't it? The, the um, disconnect between the the boardroom and the and and the business strategy and the commercial strategy and the financial strategy of what is a good season at this club and the football side of the organization it just the whole cup thing is just a ma- it's just a microcosm of the whole of the whole mess yeah the the Walsall one is is the big one really in terms of opportunity because in the EFL cup if you get f- to the next round, you've got a very good chance of playing a reasonably sized team. Um, Disaster of the Cups is definitely mentioned. You know, it's uh, in the running order. We lost 4-0 at Stockport in the FA Cup, which just had 4-0 loss written all over it, you know, for Swindon in the Cups. Um, The Walsall game and, you know, EFL trophy costs clubs monies to get to Wembley. So, you know, ultimately in those five games, we score one goal and concede a loss. And we don't even win the Wiltshire Premier Shield, do we? It's, it's who, all who's, done and who's scored the one goal, Rich? Oh, Rashawn Hepburn Murphy at, at Plymouth knowledge, against Plymouth. Knowledge. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay. So, um, I think disaster of the cups, they're trying to remedy it by recruiting a manager who doesn't know how to lose before the, the third round. So let's talk about the season then. We've, we've been talking for 41 minutes. We've not talked about any of the games. We're not going to go into huge detail, but we will sort of break it down by every handful of games until something happens. So games one to 10, looking back at it now, it's quite, it's quite good. Um, we only lose one game. We draw a lot. And we we win four games. After 10 games, we're positioned eighth. There was a lot of frustration in those early stages of the season. We get tonked at Harrogate, JR, we're rubbish in the Cups. And then we go through those run of draws before we finally get a good win over Rochdale, who would get relegated. Well, let's talk about it for the first 20, because we, we, we are in a good position. After 20 games, we're ninth. And my big question, because this is a Scott Lindsay era, era here, is should we have enjoyed the first half of the season more than we did? Because this is this is the part of the season fans talk about 
when defending Scott Lindsay. I don't remember being wowed in any of those games at the start of the season, but we were getting results, which is not what happened in the tail end of the season. Should we have just sat back and re- enjoyed the moment um, instead of spending almost every episode saying, well, it's a good point, that's a good win, but we're not going to maintain it? Um, I think hindsight is a wonderful thing. And if I think back, um, perhaps it's fair to say that we did enjoy it to a degree. Lindsay had a lot, a lot of goodwill at the beginning of the season. Let's not let's not forget or let you know how how things changed or twisted um, after January when uh, he had a lot of goodwill. Um, we had a lot of leaning on, and you know was was quite bold. I think of him. It was bold of him to be able to share, um, you know, his his personal. Uh, circumstances and you know be open up to to the fan base i don't know if it was particularly tasteful that the the club seemed to lean in on that that model to say you know that he's he's such a great and brave and wonderful guy because that did seem maybe a little bit tasteless it's it's up to him if he wants to to share those things with with us as fans but felt that it's not really the club's position to kind of lean on that and it did feel a bit like a bit a bit like leading by the nose um but I think he had a lot of goodwill back then and I can remember that early feeling that yes there were a lot of draws but because we'd had such that big churn that there was just this expectation that you know it's it's coming and soon these draws will turn into wins and then we go from there but I think along with that you've seen the unease of you know, certain players getting pushed to the fringes. Um, you're seeing McCurdy leaving this this space, and there's already a few a few little wobbles coming out there that are getting people scratching their heads. So, I think that people gave him gave him a good chance back then, but I guess if we look back honestly, that maybe the uh, the worries are already starting to mount a bit. Side side note before we get to Terry's take on this, Harry McCurdy, talisman the season before. Have we ever had a centre forward leave the club after scoring so many goals that there was just no outrage for? There was no outrage that he was going. There was no there was no outrage that we weren't offering him a new contract. It was just kind of like, yeah, okay, bye. It's so weird. I guess because maybe we'd half expected it, and it goes back to you know when we say like the best that you could expect. I remember you know seeing on Twitter people expecting that that half a million or that they would get a, a decent punt <laughs> from lucky. all those kind of things. But yeah, exactly. I, I really, I, I've not seen the finances, but I really don't think the Hib spent that on him. And I guess people thought it might be you know of, of mutual benefit. And of course, he's yeah, he's ambitious. He wants to move on. Yeah, people accepted it very readily, didn't they? It's it's because we've got our club back, so you don't need yeah. to you don't need to um you don't, you don't need to worry about stuff like losing your your best player without trying to keep them because you got your club back. Yeah, and and there was hope for Luke Jeffcott, but it wasn't the same kind of player. But but and and just the extra that came with McCurdy. I wasn't McCurdy's biggest fan, but I can't deny that the season that he had was sensational. Um, And everything that came with that, it was just the buzz he created. 
every time we would score, he was geeing up the crowd. You know, he criticised the fans for not being loud enough and we duly obliged and he fed off it. It was a really good relationship between a complex character and, and a fan base who could, who understood him. And he just went and that was that. But if you think, if you think, if you think Rich, the, in the time between his missed penalty and his, and his dropping of a protein shake um, near the referee's changing room, um, <laughs> Why? Why was there no? Why was there no real reaction to him leaving? And it, and it's because the club spent ten those ten to twelve weeks, basically, battering us with the message that we're lucky to still have a club. And last year was great, but you know probably won't happen again. And you know we, we got to build slowly and. Just don't, you know, we can't keep players like Harry McCurdy, and and we we just we just we we've been lulled into reducing our expectations, and 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 the narrative and the constant conversation between those who are trying to hold the club to a higher standard and expect more. Um, and Jr., you're very eloquent on uh, with on this on Twitter. I, I notice from time to time, but but the constant sort of discussion between those who want more and hold and want want us to hold and want to hold the the club to a higher standard, and those who literally just well, what more do you want? We, we're a League Two football club. We're a mid-table League Two club. That's what it is. Well, no, that isn't what it is. Um, and and we've got to start. We've got to start changing our mindset. Like you. you back to where we were previously you can't just be keep being told it is what it is you're lucky to have a club you know put up or shut up players are going to leave like it or lump it like no come on we need we deserve more we deserve better than that Mm, yeah terry sticking with you on the scott Lindsay front uh, the biggest concern i had during this time and it was much discussed about was his dizzying heights and crippling lows in terms of his media duties when Swindon won he what well, we saw it at the tail end of the season with Crawley it was all it was all fish shaking badge thumping but when we would lose and sometimes even draw he looked a broken man and I don't think that is you know hyperbolic to to say and that concerned me and I think he's he didn't reject Crawley because he felt that his time at Swindon was numbered, but what happened afterwards clearly showed it probably wasn't. But but during this time, it was just so up and down. But he and he's gone on to continue to do that at Crawley as well, right? Like following following his time at Crawley from afar a little bit, just because it crops up on the timeline. It, it it's the same there in terms of like he lurches from the fans wanting him out and him being an archer, you know, a public enemy number one to to we've got a super Scotty Lindsay. And and look, one of the oldest adages in, in football and, and in management is don't get too high with the highs and don't get too low with the lows. And and Scott Lindsay did exactly the opposite of that. <laughs> and it just it just always came across as being way too what's the word here? Way too emotive. And look, we want we want managers to communicate and and, and be passionate and be be emotive and, and connect with the fans but but not to the point where it comes across so badly and so negatively in the press all the time 
that you know god forbid we've lost a game and and we don't have any answers and it's the end of the world that's that's not what you want to hear you want people who are solution oriented as well um and people that have got a plan and people that can be pragmatic and positive yeah absolutely i mean especially thinking about the the post-match radio interviews he really did kind of hit a um a dour note and you know the the impetus then is that the the manager is the one to fix it, but he really did seem to sound like he had you know the weight of the world on his shoulders, and that doesn't give you the faith, um, as as you know Terry said, that you need that that pragmatism um, and you need to be able to see that bigger picture. It doesn't necessarily give you the faith that uh, that person is is right to do that, and I think that's maybe a feeling that people had about Lindsay. Don't blame him for taking the job that was offered and I don't really blame him for bouncing when the opportunity came because I think that the worm was starting to turn but I think that unease uh, of feeling that he wouldn't be the man for the job uh, came from from that media presence really of just that unease that he had. Right, a little break from the season itself and we'll stick with you, JR, because this was something that you, you know, we all were very concerned with, but something that you really ran with and that was the news that anyone under the age of 16 who purchases a match day ticket must be accompanied by a reasonable adult to enter the stadium. That was in October 2022 and just... Oh, I, I, I don't really know what to say. Of, of course, the following month, this was altered to under 14s after much criticism from fans. Uh, just goes to show, I think, sometimes I think like the club make noises and whoever they're talking to just don't know the, they don't read the room. No, not at all. This was, this was quite ridiculous. This came on the back of, um, I think we went to the Newport game, didn't we? Because I saw uh, you and Dave there. Dave enjoying a lovely uh, chicken pasty at Newport. And at the end, um, a couple of lads hopped over the fence, took a silly selfie in the centre circle and got chased by some slow stewards and got back over. And it was not really the most outrageous thing I've ever seen in terms of a pitch invasion. You know, I've seen somebody leap over the town end and, uh, you know, assault a goalkeeper. So that was significantly worse than that. We're hearing stories about, you know, town end um, toilets being vandalised and such things. And I think a lot of credit has to go to Dan, who did the OSC panel with uh, with Vic. And I think that he may have had um, James Spencer from there, from the Trust, who's trying to give a level of insight and uh maybe trying to help us see the club's perspective on these things. But the penny drop <laughs> moment where um, the penny drop moment where uh, James reveals that, uh, you know, due to financial reasons, you know, it's expensive to um, repair the toilets. And there isn't any CCTV, um, you know, in the concourses or anything like that. And Dan just pins him to say, that's a business decision. And I guess that comes to the whole, I mean, all the other clubs we went through, I was quite enjoyed going like through week to week of this this thing going through. Every away trip I was going to, I was looking at the ticketing policy and what their admissions things. And they, all of them had like a over 14s admissions thing. Now, not all of them would necessarily say, if you've got a problem that's in the town end and for whatever reason that you can't police it or you can't steward it, you could say there's no under 16s in 
such and such an area. It still seems kind of ridiculous. But the fact that there's no compromise, there's no compromise of like, until we get this sorted, uh, unaccompanied, like under like over 14s, we'll have to go in the Arkles or something like that. It was just an absolute blanket thing. And worse than that is what the club then tried to do, as they seem to have done for a few of these PR gaffes, is try to pin the blame on like outside forces and say that it's an EFL rule or something like that, when it blatantly wasn't. Any effort was like a lie, JR. Well, it was a lie because <laughs> they had the they had the ticketing policy. Yeah. Said it's been our policy all season, and I think I managed to use the Wayback Machine to get the original document from a few weeks earlier. And they're both completely different to the one that was later uploaded. You know, like mm. in the in the club policies. But yeah, you know, to just easily palm it off and say it's not us, Gov. It's it's the EFL. Just seemed like a cop out, especially when before. Uh, Again, looking at the season before, we had the incident with the Stevenage game and a couple of seats and things getting broken. And some people reporting that that was not a very pleasant time, but that was treated with uh, the people involved being given a um, please don't do it again from Uncle Clem and a a let-off. So that really was one of... That might have been probably the biggest PR gaffe that got most people outraged, but they were still, you know, trying to see the club's perspective on it. And I think that that couple of weeks for those fans that that would have run a bit deep, really. And and of course, it was also the the first, but by no means the last example of the club using the trust in in a very peculiar way. You mentioned James Spencer sitting on the on the OSC panel, almost representing the club. In, in that in that conversation in that debate, which was very very peculiar, um, but something that we that we sort of came to came to sort of get used to, I suppose, over over the following six months. I'm not going down that road again. Goodness <laughs> me, <laughs> we don't not necessarily, not necessarily going down it, but I mean, it's fair to say in, in the the simplest terms that I think that maybe he felt you know, unfairly singled out or criticised, whereas I think the main point was saying that it shouldn't be his job to do that. It should be the club's. And for some reason, I think that was unnecessarily taken personally and uh, it all got a bit a bit too silly. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they, they changed their decision and, you know, it, it, again, it's not the first thing that the Mulfuni era will do that make people go, oh, for crying out loud. But we'll return... Back to the football games, 21 to 25, the end of the Scott Lindsay era. And it was a win, two, draw, one, lose, two. Swindon finished the Scott Lindsay era after 25 games in the playoff positions in sixth place on 38 points. It has to be said, though, everyone below them up and down to 11th had games in hand, uh, enough games in hand to leapfrog Swindon, most of them. Too. So it, it, I think that was the rhetoric we were talking about before Scott Lindsay walked. Yes, we're in the playoffs, but we're just one bad week away from, from dropping significantly. And that's what ended up happening before January even takes its toll on the club in, in a window. The, Terry, the, the exit of Scott Lindsay, I keep on saying he, he resigned. He didn't resign. Crawley came in with an offer. And Swindon accepted that offer. 
can you imagine our shock? And and Scott Lindsay, who lives close, and Jamie Day, that lives closer to Crawley than they do Swindon, can't believe their luck. And I dare say there's going to be elements that Swindon can't believe their luck either, despite the, the lofty position they were in. But Scott Lindsay was a man who never looked at social media, but has spent much <laughs> of the tail end of the season telling everybody that Swindon fans expected Sir Alec Ferguson to be in charge and not him. And they were saying this, that. They were telling Crawley fans on social media, all this, that, and the other. This is a man that was clearly obsessed with what people were talking about him. At that point, things weren't great. I think he took that to heart, and I think he left. But the crucial thing here is that Swindon clearly weren't planning to get rid. But Scotland's he going. You, your thoughts? I I was at, at the time absolutely delighted. I am still absolutely delighted. The the man is a bumbling fool of an egomaniac. Um, and no matter what comes to pass, we are better without him. The Colchester away on New Year's Day in isolation was worth being fired. And my only frustration with the club is that he wasn't fired and he somehow came out with it with some sort of credit. But I suppose, you know, long game, we got a bit of cash for it, whatever, whatever. And, and everyone goes, should just go there, go their separate ways and live happily ever after, which is what I thought we were doing until, until he popped up with all of his bloody nonsense over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, that, that Colchester away on New Year's Day, that was just, I can't even put into words what a disgrace of a performance that was. And his post-match interview, you know, we, we spoke about them earlier, that was, that was the worst one of the lot. It was just, you, you could tell he was shot. He was mentally and emotionally shot, completely gone. Um, so yeah, you know, fair play to him. He managed to weasel his way out of this with a with an extension to his his career as a football league manager, which is quite. <laughs> well, we we still got a little bit more of of his resignation to come, but it's a really awkward time for Swindon because something quite big is happening during all of this time, and that is the rumored and then confirmed return of Charlie Austin, and. This is one, should be, one of the great moments of the season, possibly in recent years. But it just sums up the season, really. <laughs> so so th- if we break it down, Charlie Austin, this, this move away, the, put aside the character, the footballer, he's here, that's fine. But th- behind the scenes, it creates what feels like mild turmoil. There's rumours that Sandra DiMichele, the person responsible for signing players, is not Keen and he's overruled by Claire Morfuni, who, as we'll learn again later in the season, gets starry eyed quite easily. There's also rumors that Scott Lindsay isn't a hundred percent. Now, I've talked to people inside the club and they've said, you know, he was more than willing um, to give Charlie Austin a go, but maybe that's because he knows he's going about five days later. The announcement of his signing is botched. We've got fans that are calling Sandro Di Michele out, saying this man is going to prevent you from Charlie Austin, Charlie, Charlie Austin, the Lord and Saviour, the Duke, the King, from coming back. Football fans are doing this, and they are doing it because people within the club are asking them to do it because that's how Swindon Town operate. 
it's an absolute shit show, is it not? Yeah, yes. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the most eloquent and enjoyable Rich Pull and Rants I've, I've, I've heard for a long time. I've got nothing to add, Rich. That was perfect. But it's it's not me being like bitter because I, I was not in the know. It's not me like saying I don't like Charlie Austin. Charlie Austin gave us the the, the best moments of the season. But JL, the, the mechanics of this transfer, I can't I can't say I've ever experienced such a messy situation for something so positive. Yeah, this this was a this was a huge red flag really in many ways when we should have been excited about having. You know, one of our one of our biggest names. Uh, you know, somebody really did go on. You know, this was big news. He, of course, had the move out to uh, Brisbane that didn't work out for. Um, you know, he gave personal reasons to say that um, wasn't really working out for the family. Everybody wanted to come home, and somebody, namely Mister Morfuni, saw an opportunity that we might be able to snag him. The trouble is, is that he seemed to see that opportunity almost entirely in isolation to the rest of the club, um, away from the sporting director, and also out of the manager's knowledge as well. So nobody seemed to actually know what was going on. Um, You have press conferences going ahead of time on major broadcasters, which can't happen by, by accident. They must think that they've got you know, the full go-ahead to do these things. I'm sure that they're less likely to make mistakes than uh, football clubs, but I don't know, that's open-minded. People who know that industry better would know that better than me. But in that, you've got Charlie Austin saying it's it's all the chairman and he's never spoken to the manager in his life. Now, when we think back to Ben Chorley and Ben Garner, they gave the impression that, you know, they had like a symbiotic relationship that they, oh, we've been identifying some of the same targets. And it was probably just, you know, bluster and a half-truth or whatever. But they gave the impression that, you know, they actually communicated with one another and that, you know, there was there was an actual model in place rather than people acting in, you know, in complete isolation to each other. And it just didn't give a good feeling as to how, how this would go out and this was maybe days before Lindsay went and probably a catalyst because you've got um you've got your star signing that everybody who doesn't support Swindon is asking me about um there on Sky Sports News saying he's never even spoken to the manager but he's sure it'll all be fine I think you make some really interesting points there JR particularly in the idea that look the the the, the mechanics as you describe here of this transfer seem really just mental and 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 bad and unprofessional and all of those other adjectives but as you said jr i'm sure back in the days of the two bends or any other combination of manager and sporting director any other club these things happen right like like these things happen all the time The, the one thing that this highlighted to me more than anything else is the complete lack of experience and cohesion in our communication strategy. Because all of that goes away if you have somebody controlling the messaging to the fans via whatever channels they choose. All of that goes away. So, Charlie Austin, are you, look, you're here, great. Are you on message in terms of what to say, how to say it, who to say it to? 
Scott Lindsay, are you on message who to say what to say, how to say it to? Are we are we connected here? We don't have to be connected behind the scenes because Clem's gone out on a whim and done this amazing thing and Charlie's coming home. But the 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 lack of cohesion and lack of quality in our communication strategy has been a recurring theme all season and it was mostly most highlighted by this incident. All the other stuff goes away if you package that up in a very sensible, cohesive way. And we just did not. We just don't have the capability to do that. And and sensible and cohesive is the easiest way in this scenario too, which is what's a so million incredible. Percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. much easier to have one plan and one strategy that you get the three main stakeholders signed up to and you have one person accountable for delivering those messages and everyone's on board than just trying to basically wrestle an octopus which is which is ultimately what we ended up doing and it just turned into as you said an absolute shit show but before you even get to that position you have you have you say internals and sponsors making noise outing people that they're not willing to be on board well, yes. before you've even got there yes sorry did i interrupt you then are you no 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 i'll just join in the fun swing and we love you we do <laughs> I appreciate we, we don't go into the minutiae of, of the game by game on this. You know, we'll celebrate the, the highs and lows of, of individuals and games when we do the, the end of season awards, inverted commas. But like, so you Scott Lindsay here. You are sixth in the league and telling everybody about it. You've just been given Charlie Austin. So what do you do? You get an offer from Crawley Town who are struggling and you walk away. That, that equation doesn't add up if all is rosy, does it? No, it, it's it doesn't weigh up. And uh, I think <laughs> I've said to you before of like just um, I really just just don't see. I mean, from my perspective, as I say, like the worm was already turning for Lindsay. And yes, yeah, he did he did go. He got the offer. You know, we were compensated. You know, he balked when it was uh, we were in sixth place. And his defenders will probably always have that as a, you know, a, a, a token to say that, oh, we could have gone up or whatever. You hear those discussions, you know, in places like the Legends Lounge and the Merlin for for decades to come. That's just going to be inevitability. The the minutiae of, you know, how precarious that position was um, is not going to be there. But it made it almost seem, I would say that that, that moment of, Someone saying that and saying that they hadn't spoken to them. That's not that's not an accident that somebody says that. Not somebody who's, you know, who's played multiple multiple games in the Premier League and has been, you know, media coach. That's that's somewhat deliberate. And to me, that gave me the impression that um, the manager doesn't really have a say here and he doesn't have control here. And I think that is maybe the bit that makes the decision to say that well. I'd best be off. It's not seeing the advantage of having, you know, a a prolific striker and having a big name, you know, at your at your disposal in your arsenal. It's more thinking that you know you've been, you know, made to look a complete plum on uh, on sports <laughs> telly. Now, 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 of course, Terry, it wouldn't be Swindon season if I if I didn't say there were six days between the rumor that Scott Lindsay was off um, and then confirmation of his departure. Luckily for Swindon, games are being postponed during this time due to the weather. And 
in comes Gavin Gunning and Steve Mildenhall to oversee as many games as they can before uh, the appointment of a new head coach. It's it's a funny conversation. We all assumed Gavin Gunning was Scott Lindsay's guy because they'd worked together at Forest Green Rovers. I think it's later um, suggested that he's not been brought in. He wasn't brought in uh, on behalf or for for Scott Lindsay. He was brought in for, by somebody else. Not that it matters. What what we do see are two of the the most entertaining games of the season. We have the glorious Charlie Austin return, and then we have the absolutely bafflingly, embarrassingly entertaining 3-3 draw at Ginningham where everything goes out the window and it's just chaos and everyone loved it and, and people wanted more of it. Isn't it funny that the two, two of the most entertaining games at the county ground were under the gunning Mildenhall tenure? I find it interesting that you think it's a, it's unexpected that our two most mental games of the season came under a guy who affectionately is known as Mad Gav. <laughs> um, Very true. Very true. <laughs> the, the, the Grimsby were absolutely absolutely pony, weren't they? They were they were so bad, and Charlie Austin just feasted, and that was great fun. And it felt as if the whole the whole grey cloud of of Lindsay and Austin and Morphoonie and Dimichaeli and Leaks and all of that crap had just lifted and because Austin was here and he was perfect and Grumpy Scott's gone. Um and then the Jills game, if I if I remember rightly, it was it was yeah, one one side might Gillingham might as well have taken their shirts off and played as as skins. Um <laughs> it, it was that sort of playground esque, wasn't it? It was completely bonkers and some of the most inept defending that I've seen in a long, long time, and yet we still somehow managed to almost win the game. Should have yeah, won the game. Yeah. yeah, we should have, absolutely. Yeah. It, completely, completely bonkers game. And in a it was almost the perfect antidote to 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 Lindsay's anti football of, of the first twenty five games of the season. Yeah, yeah. JR, the, the winter transfer window is often cited despite Charlie Austin's arrival it's discussed and, and and often cited as where it all went wrong really regardless of who head coach was so Louis Reed went Ben Gladwin went Angus MacDonald a new signing went Johnny Williams was rumoured to be close to leaving but he stayed until the end of the season in came Charlie Austin Jake Kane uh, Fraser Blake Tracy signed on a permanent George McEachran uh, who didn't have any EFL experience, but he would go on to be quite a, well, one of our better players. And then Tom Brewett came in too. We were rumoured to be signing Lewis Ward again, but something went wrong. We were rumoured to be signing Malachi Fagan-Walcott and things went wrong. But what we had here was yet another little strip down of everything that was good from the season before. This was absolutely criminal. It was a disgrace, Rich. I mean, you had the you had the position. Okay, so when we we talk about Lindsay and we talk about him, you know, leaving when they're in the playoffs and you know the antics of Mad Gav, a huge opportunity. This is like showing your hand at poker. The club had an enormous opportunity to steer the ship and to keep that momentum going by getting the right person in and by doing good recruitment in January but instead while we're looking for a manager not only did we get rid of uh you know Gladwin and McDonald our captain and vice captain I hasten to add I think it was obvious that Reed was 
um, on the way out. I presume that that must have been a contractual discussion of saying that he wasn't going to extend. And then it was just a case of, well, we'll push him out to the sidelines and play Khan and um, get him out at the earliest opportunity. But we're doing all this work and squirreling him away. And this is this is the you know the hallmark of of Sandro's um, you know last window before we can actually even get a manager in before they can even see these players. It's just absolutely astonishing. But the the impact of having Charlie Austin around seems to be enough that people weren't absolutely outraged and. It's the fact that you're not actually replacing them with any experience. You're replacing them with Dylan Kaji and the like. So, yes, this is all happening in January of 2023. We know through credible journalists that Scott Lindsay is heading off to Crawley on January the 5th. Whether the club know before that, we won't know. But if we want to say there's a definitive marker for when we know Scott Lindsay is off. It's the 5th of January. Jody Morris is recruited as head coach on the 31st of January. Ed Brand, his assistant, would be appointed on the 10th of March. (laughs) (laughs) It it took longer to hire Ed Brand than Ed Brand worked for us. Yes. Uh, and and I was on on the final day of the season. I was talking to to a pal in the stands, and somebody I didn't know sort of turned around because they they'd spoken to Scott Lindsay in the hotel the day before, and this fan was telling me that Scott Lindsay was saying that he suspected Jody Morris was already in the building before he left. That he's a drinking pal of Sandra D. McKayley. If that's the case. Why does it take a month for an unemployed head coach to become head coach? Who's mate of the technical director. Yeah, and and why is David Artel on the brink of becoming head coach and then maybe, you know, Clem Mulfooney is is wooed by stories of the Cup Winners' Cup in the 90s? I don't know. But it's, it's, it's a, it, it feels like before we hear Jody Morris speak, before we, we have a game played, it feels like the appointment that they've been looking for all along, elite level development coach in their first role in the EFL and bringing somebody who's on Chelsea's books in as his assistant. It felt like the right choice. It felt like the decision that they've been doing all that waiting for all that time. But from the very off, something wasn't right yeah it it was i was so in favor of this appointment so in favor of it and it just it just went south so quickly like you say from the from the off it just didn't click on paper it was perfect the second that he was in the building it just didn't work did it and i think i probably i probably there's probably pods that i that i did in, in that sort of february march time where i was super defense super uh defensive of of morris and Look, I think he, you know, he came in to, to a bit of a lame duck, and he's had the rug pulled out beneath him in the transfer window. You know, he he was announced officially on on deadline day, and then saw his captain and vice captain sold. All of these things, and all of these things are true, and all of these things are contributing factors. But as as, as it sort of February drifted into March and drifted, and then and then the season really started to peter out a lot. It became really really hard to defend to defend what was happening. And and look, it's just, it, I very quickly got to the point where Jody Morris isn't solely to blame for the disgrace of the second half of the season, but he also can't get away without criticism. And and um, I think we all sort of 
got to that point in at different stages. I suppose I got there a little bit later than most. Yeah, and and I think you know we we talked about twenty four hours Terry before his his exit was confirmed, and I stand by it. You know, it, it, we 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 cannot keep going round and round and round with with head coaches and managers. It, it was the logical thing to stick with him. We won't ever know what the relationship was like behind the scenes, but just have to stick it out and give him that summer. He didn't even have a window. He, you know, he, he might have brought in Kaji, which, you know, is, isn't isn't the greatest one, but he brought in McEachran, who who was arguably one of our better players in, in the tail end of the season before an injury. So there's more to it than the form, I think. Yeah, there has to be. There has to be more to it than the form. I think there was a very quickly a complete breakdown in, look, this is only on instinct and going off what we can see. I've got no knowledge of this, but I personally, my read of this is there was a complete breakdown between Morris and the club in terms of the, the his expectations um, and, and the influence he can have and the impact he can have and the facilities that are available to him. And I think also we can't talk about Jody Morris without talking about Charlie Austin. Um, and and it does seem as if there was a complete breakdown there as well. And the last thing any successful football team needs or wants is a power struggles. And Jody Morris's whole time here felt like one big power struggle between him and multiple multiple people, both on the playing side and 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 sort of in the in the football hierarchy above him, which just never ends well. It never ends well. And and his quotes and his sound bites right back to sort of week one, week two, when you go back and listen to him talking about sort of how he how he wants to improve the standard of everything. You know, you can look through those quotes now and sort of pick up the fact that he wasn't particularly impressed with what he'd found and that quickly turned into him being in uncape him not having the remit or being empowered to change those things and and that power struggle just just eroded any any chance he had to succeed here i think and this is where you need a ben Shawley in the middle you know pulling the strings, keeping things together, keeping people happy, but it just, it, it doesn't have that and everyone's going in all sorts of directions. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, um, throughout the season, I've been helping out and covering the uh, the presser when you've had well-earned holidays and towards that tail end of the Jody Morris era where, um, you know, he was about as reliable as your internet in terms of getting results. Um just those little sound bites that he'd give that he was just so outspoken about not knowing what budgets are. And I did, I did ask Joe at the time, you know, whether this was, you know, whether this was, you know, who kind of, you know, posturing or glad handing or trying to, you know, trying to get those conversations. But I think maybe what was missed in that is that it doesn't actually reflect brilliantly on him. If he's outwardly saying that he's completely in the dark about these things and kind of almost was, was typing his own, epitaph to his his tenure here i think it it really kind of peter out with you know him against the world and you can't as terry says you can't ignore the um the austin status because we we know uh to put it briefly and charitably that uh charlie and his um his family can be outspoken on social media and if you see you know alleged like tweets of yeah, the manager getting criticism, it does speak to, you know, breakdown in relationship. And this is this is the star sign that you've gone all in on January. You've not just got when we think back to, you know, Andrew Cross being the ideal in August, you've not just got one, but you've got two 
of these elite academy coaches in Morris and Brand together, but yeah, it's it's all for naught if they've not actually got the the respect of the the players. And when you have power, the problem with power struggles is not just you know the fraction that is the it's that divisive nature as well. And it was telling that you know when when the time was finally up, it was only really the likes of McEachern and Lavinier who knew him from before who uh, wished him well. Indeed. Well, around the time of Jody Morris's appointment, fans were quite fairly going, what is going on? So what was the club's stance on this? Of course, they stopped all outside communications for a brief period of time. until. The... I'm trying to remember here, they, they stopped because people were being mean to them in the replies. Yes, it was pretty much that. And they, they pulled the shutters down on Swindon. Um, our thoughts go out to Chippenham Town, who probably missed a few people going through the turnstiles in the Wiltshire Premier Shield. I'm talking about 5, 10, 15, 20. I was there, I knew. Um, which was funny because everybody was there at that game. They they did a match report. They did the whole thing. They just didn't put it out because they didn't like Swindon fans asking questions. Now, the moment Jody Morris was confirmed, all of those comms went out, including the Chipton Town match report, which was out a day. An absolutely remarkable act from the club. <laughs> it's just absurd. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really want to go beyond that. It's just... You know, oh, that, I, could, that, I could talk about this for hours, but uh, I'm not going to do yeah, it. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's just that is your way of treating your fans. In in the season where you have tried to stop under-16s from going in, unless they're with a responsible adult, you decide to cut off. You know, everyone will point to your advisory panel mi- minutes, but when the going gets tough, you pull the shutters down, and that's tremendously sad, and I expect it to happen again one day. It's it's just remarkable. Just remembering the thing that it's not just that, you know, we're not we're not posting any updates about the manager. It was for everything. We weren't even promoting tickets for God's sake. The fact that a club can do that, and you do suspect that whether, I mean, perhaps maybe you've heard, uh, you know, more insight into why this was than is it. But it it again speaks to this idea that, you know, is this actually a strategy? Because even pulling the shutters down seems like an impossible strategy for the club to have or is this just people being able to manage their own workloads work in their own little silos and you know basically work however they like because there is no adjoining thing and if they don't like some replies on twitter that they can just say i'm just gonna shut my laptop for a week and chill (laughs) it's 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 a it's a tactic of internal comms isn't it if there's nothing to say don't say it and I, i think ultimately that's what they've done is there nothing to say at a football club? There's always... Of course there is. There's loads to say, but they don't want to say it because someone might say, sign a player, or have we appointed a head coach yet, or get on with it, which, you know, we're always told that social media is not the measurement of the fan base, yet people always react to it, don't they? It's it, it's very, very odd. But it as soon as, and the fact that as soon as the appointment was made, there was relentless content backlog that that came out 
and even that wasn't methodic. It was just like, there you go. There's the last week. We were working. We were working. We just didn't want to give you it because you didn't deserve it because you asked us questions. It's just absolutely cool. crazy. It's just crap. We're just crap at this. We are really, really <laughs> crap at it. And before somebody has a whinge, oh, you know, be, be kind to, you know, be, be kind. Don't forget that we're skeleton staff and don't all of this stuff. Look, the club are very quick to try and get free labour in this in this in this part of the of the organisation, and there are also other clubs of similar size and smaller who do a bloody good job at communicating with their fan base. So if you want to at me, you'll fail. I'm not on social media, but <laughs> if you did at me, then just don't because the whole point of well, we don't have many staff and leave them alone. They're doing their best is bollocks. That we are rubbish at this, and it has to change. And despite everything, one of the biggest moments of our recent history happens in 2023 despite our spiraling season under Jody Morris and Scott Lindsay the big news of the year of the season without doubt is that the Swindon Town and Trust SDSC complete the purchase of the county ground thanks to the glory that is the Nigel ED Trust Charlie Austin is the most exciting news of the season in terms of we're football fans. We pay our season tickets to watch football and we've got ourselves Charlie Austin again for a final horn. But the purchase of the county ground, Terry, is is just just so big for this for this club and this town. Yeah, this is this is you were talking about silver linings. I mean, it's not the silver lining, is it? It's the bolt of it's the bolt of of sunshine through through the through the grey cloud of a season completely foundationally change like changes everything for us if we get the next bits right and that is a big if but look today this 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 year and right now isn't isn't about those next bits and there's people way smarter than me making sure that does happen the the thing that gives me great comfort and great pride is is the ed trust in all of this um uh, pride at the fact that it's such an incredible incredible legacy and way to use the funds left left by um let left by mr ed and comfort in the fact that from every interaction that i see people have with that trust they are super smart super diligent and will will make sure that this is done properly um so yeah just just massive massive um uh, news huge foundational change and, and and a really really positive uh, positive piece of, uh, of of progress that can define this club for the next the next hundred years, right? It, it is that big, um, and we should all be incredibly thankful. And I hope when the time comes, um, uh, Mister Reedy is is paid tribute to in a in a manner befitting of of of, of his legacy. No, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I mean, this 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 is a shame almost that the the on field has kind of overshadowed this because yeah, this is a absolutely enormous moment for not just for the club but also for the the town and I know there's a great scale of ambition of you know what people would like to see uh you know within the ground I kind of hope that you know while we're while we're thinking bigger picture we're thinking about amenities that could you know provide um you know revenue around the clock like 24 7 revenues it's very sensible to think that way but yeah in the short term we just need to basically secure this asset and and fix what needs fixing while we're looking to uh you know set out these grand visions but 
yeah, this is this is the the silver lining of the the season, and I think we're all looking forward to seeing what the next stages are, and that the terms in that sale from the council, I think, are the you know foundations that have and building work has to start within within the next three years for it to be about a million pounds worth, I think it was. So hopefully, we're going to see um, you know those improvements swiftly, and then uh, you know some some real redesign in what we have yeah lovely stuff and Swindon as a team who likes to keep possession of the ball a man down not ideal Hayden breaking with some real pace down the right hand side teasing ball is the boss the goalkeeper's dropped in and McCurdy is there to follow up and that should be Swindon's derby 3-1 now to town against the battered beleaguered 10 man Rovers with four minutes to go should have left that bit to the end so we could end it on a positive note but there's there's not much more positive here the season just spirals completely wayward um a final hurrah uh against Bradford and Wimbledon makes us think well maybe we'll finish the season on a, on a bright note and then losses to Stevenage and crew followed but we did uh win on the final day against Crawley but before the Crawley game of course of course Jody Morris and Ed Brand are removed. Sandro Di Michele leaves. I think he's got away with this episode um, slightly, but most of the things that we said that are negative of the season are directed at his tenure, frankly. Uh, Gavin Gunning and Steve Mildenhall come back for one more uh, last hurrah, and of course they get points because that's what they do. Um, Crawley are awful. Absolutely awful. They're on the beach, but um, still, it was a nice way to finish. 10,450, close to 10,000 Swindon fans through the gate. And I was there. I've, I've been through a few of those. Well, I went to all of the tail end home games, Terry, and they called out 8,000 a couple of times and people laughed. The 10,000 against Crawley felt about right. It did feel like People had turned up mid-table. We're getting that crowd, so that's that's a real hopeful sign for the future. But a dreadful season, just above uh, the the Beamish line. It's our second worst season, points-wise, in our history within the fourth tier, which is the bottom division. So you know, getting less in the Championship or the top flight or League One, it's not as bad as finishing with with our points return in the fourth tier. So tenth flattered us i think a little bit in the end 10th massively flattered us but, uh, uh, i think rich the general standard of the division was very very poor and any other season we'd have been closer to 13th or 14th that the points average tells us that um and uh, just to touch on the crawley game i didn't go um because i'm not insane um <laughs> and i live a long way away um but our, you, you, we talked about silver linings with, with obviously the, the the ground news, which absolutely was huge. I think it would be remiss of us to finish this episode and finish this review without talking about another silver lining, and and that's our fans this season. They've been absolutely yeah. incredible, and I think that there's always this really strange narrative. And look, it's it's loud minorities in social media. I I understand that, but it still exists in that everybody everybody slags off our own fans, particularly our, our home fans. And when you look at the absolute tripe that we've been served up for the last nine months, to still be putting up the numbers that we put up, I mean, the, 
t- take away the like the final two or three games of the season where they really did plummet before the quarter game. It's just the support is incredible. The numbers are there. Our away support is amazing. Our support is the best it's ever been. And that that is why I get so passionate and frustrated with the club when they are just absolutely spaffing this goodwill up the wall. They are wasting it day by day with their horrendous decision-making, their complete lack of, um, of comm strategy, and their the, 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 com- the complete lack of any sort of football experience in the whole organization they are just they are wasting some of our best support ever and this goodwill will not last and and that's the, the one thing that has to change this summer because our fans have been incredible this year completely it feels like if I think just even back to today that the advisory board minutes are published and we're talking about getting average of 9,000 gates and remembering all the time that, you know, I've been watching Swindon from some 95, 96 season onwards and to see the top line saying that an average of 9,000 is good. These people take those attendances completely for granted. They do. They must do because I've never seen attendances like they have been in the last couple of seasons it stay consistently, especially when things are not going particularly well. Richard Terry, you'll remember, you know, times of getting, you know, sub two thousand gates when what's in now the championship. It's completely uh taken as taken as read that there'll always be that kind of following, the kind of rush that we always have on, you know, when there's away tickets, even for you know, you guys have got season tickets to think that, you know, you might not get them because there's such a swell of demand. And it only takes, you know, if we didn't have that appointment, you wouldn't have those 10K at Crawley and you'll have that new manager bounce. But it's not a given thing. And I think that one of the hallmarks of the Wolfoonie era is that we take our incredible, astonishing, and we have, you know, we have disagreements on Twitter. And I'm sure there might be people who find, you know, tone of this pod maybe not to their liking but at the end of the day we're all we're all swindon fans and we all turn out and i don't think that's should be taken for granted and i do feel like it is i, th- I think just just picking up on your the t- taking for advantage thing without going off on a little bit of a tangent i can't do a podcast today and not mention the absolutely extraordinary answer in the advisory board minutes that basically we don't believe in marketing <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just brilliant it's just basically like people will buy their ticket buy tickets if we play well and if we don't they won't and so therefore like marketing's just not a thing and if you want to talk about taking these crowds for advantage in a single sentence there is a there is an admission right there in an official club document that they completely take these crowds for granted completely because i think we see them as the same we we think that 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 nine ten thousand is like a homogenous blob who'll just always be there come rain or shine. I mean, never mind thinking about that, you know, there are people who move into Swindon and move away and, you know, that there's new customers coming in every year. And I think it's those people, you know, the regulars, people who have, you know, put their money down, people who maybe wavered, uh, you know, refunds for that COVID season, people who, um, you know, kind of go out of habit. They're maybe the people I look out for the most in these sorts of things and 
perhaps some of those are people who feel like, why do you have never never have anything good to say, or why are you always bashing the club, or those things. It's with those people, you know, in mind because I just feel like you know people giving their support and coming every other week or every week, you know, following home and away, going on SAS travel. I think it's a remarkable, extraordinary thing. It's not something that that I do as much as I'd like to, and I feel like the we should all appreciate that and each other. Getting Jerry Springer now. <laughs> oh, me. The dearly departed. Shall we end the pod on the ownership? Dare we do it? Oh. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, oh, boy. So. Let me just um, let me just load up my voice changing app. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's give it a go. Clem Mulfooney is a very wealthy man. Whether he's wealthy enough to operate a... League Two football team in England over two full seasons and a third coming up. I'm not so sure. The boardroom include it involves chief exec Rob Angus, no one else. We know that there is one Zav Austin. We know that there is Chris C.K. Kiley. And we know Adam Hart is on the scene. We get explanations as to what their roles are or non-roles are within this club. But something doesn't feel right this element of Swindon Town Terry doesn't feel like one that I have my club back I don't own a club but you know the rhetoric and two these are all jilted exes of Lee Power there's just something and I said you know at the time of Clem Mulfooney's takeover I will never let my guard down again in relation to the ownership of Swindon And the more I read the advisory panel, clear and open and transparency, the more things just don't add up in terms of what these people's interests are in Swindon, why they don't have titles, yet they're round. Chris C.K. Kiley will often be seen on site, you know, dapping up the players. He is the, the, the person behind the model that brought Sandro Di Michele here. Di Michele is gone. Chris Kiley hasn't. Why not? Zav Austin was co, sorry, he was vice chairman. Then under legal advice, they didn't put him through fit and proper because he wouldn't pass it. So now he's just a guest of the club. I don't care about the Karachi stuff. I think that in many ways is a red herring unless it's really, really murky. We want that to be a red herring, if anything. But he's just here every week, fine, having his pictures taken. That's it. That's, That's all he wants. And then we have Adam Hart, who has interests within the club. This doesn't feel right. And I, I'm not going to sort of say, corruption, corruption. But this is not a one-man operation. I refuse to believe it. I, I think especially when you then layer onto that, this hierarchy's propensity to lie. Um, that That's where it breaks down for me. It, it It's the... It's the provable dishonesties that that we have seen that then make it really hard to take at face value that um, Zav Austin is just a nice guy who just happens to want to help out, and Adam Hart is just the is just a strength and conditioning contractor who happens to go in the exec box every home game. Um, look, I don't know. It's so hard to know what what we can. And can't say not because we know a load of stuff um, 
but we but we but we don't but we don't want to share it because that's that's nonsense that's not that's not what we're about at all but purely because there's so much noise and why is there so much noise like there is there is so much noise because things obviously aren't as as simple as they should be they're not as simple as straight and straightforward as they should be because there are people on the scene in weird in weird positions with weird job titles in boardrooms that ultimately they that, that feels uncomfortable or just looks odd so people ask questions and that that makes complete sense this should have been something they could easily iron out but the fact that we 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 hear the names chris ck kylie zav austin adam hart but they are just in the shadows and Clem Mulfooney came here. Why do you want to be owner of a football club? Well, I just love football. That's not enough. And I'm a huge Swindon fan. No, you're not. <laughs> you, you might think you are, but I'm sure he's absolutely incredibly invested in this. But he became owner of Swindon Town after all said and done because he wanted his shares back. <laughs> and then he inherited a club. But oh, it, it's, it's hard because Clem Mulfooney and Swindon Town Football Club have done an amazing job to get the majority on side. And, uh, you know, I've said the Clem Kool-Aid in, in, in jest many a time on this podcast, but something isn't right, JR. And, and, and I add a little bit of extra, really, to this because I observe what's been happening over the last few weeks. You know, a steady Eddie manager being appointed in Michael Flynn, the the end of the Sanjo Di Michele and whatever experiment him and Chris Kiley were doing, although Chris Kiley is still involved from what I know, just everything being reset. I do wonder whether Swindon could be up for sale, for example, because all these sort of wild sort of things have been, we even own the ground now. So there's another incentive to sell up now. And if, if Clem Wolfuni was to sell now, his legacy would be incredible because he dethroned Lee Power and the, the purchase of the county ground happened on his watch, which is an incredible legacy to have in a short amount of time. So I do wonder whether we might be close to seeing the end of the Clem Morfuni era, but that is pure speculation. I, but it's just, I'm just watching Swindon from afar and wondering whether that's what's happening. I think it's quite natural to think after, you know, after the the year that we've had and the mystifying, you know, appointment strategies and recruitment, you know, from players to management to board level as well, that for the club to be, you know, quite so decisive, getting Morris out and getting Flynn in before the end of the season, um, you know, the county ground purchase, as we say, is all very neatly tightened up. Um it wouldn't be uh it wouldn't be a terrible position to be put into if you um you know if you were looking to move on and uh, take up it's a bit like when people start you know putting the magnolia paint over their house before they sell it isn't it but i can see why that you'd come to that that conclusion i guess it's another thing that comes down to um that comes down to comms and the way that things are so uh, meagerly batted away you know when so like Chris Kiley is listed as a director in the programme and then we're told that's a typo. As if we're expected to believe that the media team just put that in as, I don't know, they just had a mad idea to think that that would go in or that people get listed. Sounds like a lie. (laughs) People get listed as technical directors when someone's taken a snap of the the hospitality guest list or whatever and put that on social media. And so that's a typo as well. These people don't have this, you know, they don't, 
they don't imagine what people's roles are. They're not super fans. They are just admin prepping for a hospitality day, and they just put what they've been told to put, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I think the other thing that's interesting, Rich, to, that, that sort of backs up your your um, your your summary there is, I, I saw I saw some chatter today on on both Twitter and and some of the forums about just just our absolute lack of of back office staff in senior positions, and it's quite stark when you start listing it out. It's like you know, I think um, we, we know we know that we've lost senior members of of staff from the media team uh, club secretary um there's rumors that the that, that Greg Norman the the CFO I've, I've I've seen rumors to suggest that he um is no longer in post and he he was also in charge and heading up our retail and ticketing um departments there's also um suggestions that our stadium operations manager has left um, and look, maybe some of these have been replaced and, and we haven't been told and that's fine. What We don't need to be told everything again, as I said earlier. But, but in terms of this general vibe that there might be some some clearing the decks and some magnolia on the walls, as, as, as JR said, feels like that might be that might be the case there as well. Um, so it would be fascinating that this is purely, purely conjecture and speculation. Absolutely. But there does seem to be some interesting moves watching from afar um, with regard to... To, to cleaning the decks and, and prepping prepping the organization for whatever is next. And we don't know what's next. We don't know whether it's a sale or whether it's a complete, complete change in strategy or whether it's um whether it's a change in in hierarchy, you know, in the back office or whatever. But there is definitely a a clearing of the decks right now, isn't there? From 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 from, from in all departments of the organization. It certainly feels that way. Well I think we've done our best there and we've done it in just under two hours, which is about what I expected. Uh, we'll, we'll have a couple more season-based pods before the summer um, and they will be much more lighthearted. But JR, Terry, thank you both very much for trying to make sense and, and walk me through that season. It wasn't a great one, but gosh, I hope the next one's better. Chaps, thank you very much. Adios. The Lone Strangers is an independent supporters podcast. Views given do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club or their official partners. The music is provided by the great Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork was designed by Matt in Singapore. What a guy. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Has a bubble? Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.